Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. If you have your Bibles, join me in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. We're taking our break from the Gospel of John here on Father's Day to examine a, a topic of fatherhood, of, of manhood here at our church today. And as you're turning in your Bibles to the book of Joshua in chapter 24, they'll be in verses 14 and 15. As you're turning there, I want to ask you a question. What comes into your mind or who comes into your mind when I say the word man or I say manliness? Who comes into your mind? It's a quiz. And uh, <clears throat> no one's saying my name. No one's looking at me as if I'm obviously not that answer to many people. But, you know, we really have to ask that question today on Father's Day. What, is, what does it mean to be a man? And what does manliness mean? Does it, does it carry with it this idea of someone who is able to just genetically grow a very manly beard? When I, when I think of a manliness in my family, I think of someone who can grow a real manly beard. Am I the only person here? Tyler, again, he sees it. He says, yes. He says, amen. Maybe it's someone who is an expert outdoorsman. I mean, they are able to fish and hunt, and they know all the ins and outs of that. Maybe when you think of being a man, you think of that, or maybe they're an athlete. They're really good at baseball, basketball, football, or maybe they're a good craftsman with wood, or they're able to weld. You think of these people as being manly. Or maybe it's the ability to just be stoic and not be emotional. A lot of people think, well, maybe that's part of being manly. Men are taught not to wear their emotions on their sleeves. And as we look at what it means to be a man, we want to be very careful. We don't want to go to the world and ask what it means to be a man, especially today where they have no idea what it means to be a man or to be a woman. They can't even identify that difference. So where do we go? Where can we go to find truth with regards to everything, but especially today on what it means to be a man? Where can we go? Well, the good news for us, brothers and sisters, is we have a word that God has given us. It is an infallible, inerrant word that teaches us all that we need to know about God and his expectations of us and what he has provided for us. And it is the scripture that we can come to today and see what it is that makes someone a man. Now, the goal of today's service is not to do that in great detail. Uh, scripture is very clear, beginning from Genesis moving onward, how God created men, male and, how he created men and women, male and female. Today's uh, message is not an exhaustive look at the biological framework or any of those things. Rather today, men, I want us to look to God's word and to find a specific personality uh, a man who existed long ago, uh, who exists, who we can get gather some information, uh, a, a template for us on how to be a man. And so we go to uh, uh, we go to another Joshua a long time ago, a warrior, a leader, 
uh, whose book, named after himself, Joshua, is filled with his conquest. Now, you, many of you know who Joshua is. From a very young age, he was a protege of Moses. He had crossed the Red Sea with Moses. He had gone up the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, with Moses. While everyone else was down in the camp uh, making a golden calf and worshiping it, Joshua was up on the mountain just a little bit further away from Moses. Joshua was Moses' right-hand man. And when it came time for Moses to, to go the way of all the earth, it was Joshua to whom God had uh, set aside to be the leader of Israel. Quite the shoes to fill. Not at all up to the task, but he had been in training all of his life. And the book of Joshua is filled with uh, his leadership and what God accomplished through Joshua. We see the promised land being conquered. We see uh, phenomenal things taking place. And where we find Joshua today is he is approaching his deathbed. And after all of the warring has pretty much ceased, he calls together the elders of Israel in chapter 23, and he begins to say his final words. Today, we want to zone in on chapter 24, verses 14 through 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served before the, beyond the river and in Egypt and, the, and serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I pray that now as we come to your word, you would give me the right words to say. Father, today on this, on this Father's Day, we know there is no greater template than Jesus. But as we look at Joshua today, I pray that we would see the qualities that he had that ultimately were fulfilled in Jesus. And that you would draw us men to be uh, more like you that you would develop those qualities in us that you admire and that you long for. And Father, that you would strip away those qualities in us that are sinful and that reject your authority. Speak to us today as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we will look at another Joshua many years ago, and we will examine from our text today and from chapters 23 and 24, four qualities that Joshua understood that really showed uh, his heart and shows you how to be, I believe, a man of God. Qualities that Jesus would fulfill in a greater way. Let's look at these four qualities today. If you're taking notes, number one, men, if you want to be a man of God, if you want to learn how to be a true man, man, you have to learn from Joshua and you have to, two words, bend low. You have to bend low. Joshua is now at the end of his life. He's gathered all the elders together. And now is the time where you roll the highlight reel. 
That now is a time when you say, remember when I did this? Remember when I did that? Remember how we did all these things? This is the time to roll that highlight reel. You're working on your statue and your legacy. Every man cares about his legacy. How you will be remembered while others will think of you. And here's Joshua's prime opportunity. It's his opportunity to point out all of those awards that he should have gotten. It's time for him to point out all those great things about himself. But it's not what he does. Unfortunately, pride is often associated with manliness. And mankind, all of mankind, man, woman, boy, and girl, all of us struggle with pride. But especially in men, we're taught to have our chin up, our chest out, never admit a wrongdoing. But here... Here, Joshua shows us what it means to bend low, to show genuine humility. In chapter 23, we see this over and over again. He should be showing his highlight reel. Look at all the things that I've done. But look at what he says in chapter 23 in verse 3. He could be saying, look at me, look at what I've done. Verse 3 of chapter 23, he says, And you have seen all that the Lord your God has done. To all the nations for your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. Joshua knows what humility is. He says that it wasn't me all along. It's not been my leadership. It's not been my charisma. It's not been my, my ability to, to teach you how to war. It's not been any of those things. It has just been God all this time. Now, Joshua really had a unique perspective because he had taken over Moses' role as leader in Israel, and his first job was to take the Israelites across the river into the promised land and to fight their first foe, which was the citizens of Jericho. And those walls were very tall, and their people were very, very big. And so Joshua is trying to contemplate what their move is. How do they take over? And I am sure, I am sure that the, the, the elders of Israel had gathered around his, uh, uh, their general, their new leader, Joshua. And they're like, all right, how are we going to take Nineveh? How are we going to, are we going to build siege towers? We've, we've always wanted to build siege towers. We're going to get up those, oh, no, no. At nighttime, at nighttime, we're all going to take some, some grappling hooks, okay? And we're going to foam up to the top of the wall. We're going to pull our ladders out. And we're going to go in and we are going to destroy Jericho. Joshua, what is your plan for Jericho? And Joshua says, all right, here's the plan. We're going to walk around Jericho without saying a word one time a day for seven days. And you can imagine the people of Israel going, what? Uh, it's time to call for a vote of confidence because I was pretty confident in Joshua in his uh, ability to be a, uh, uh, someone who had good strategy for war, but his, his plan of attack is to walk around quietly around Jericho. Yeah, but that's not the best. On the seventh day, we'll do it more than one time. We'll do it seven times, and on the last time, we'll scream and shout and we'll blow our trumpets. And you can imagine the Israelites would have been like, this is, we want to recall. We want to, God has not placed the right person in authority. 
But you see, Joshua understood something. He understood that it wasn't about their ability because their ability was not good enough. Their ability would not, keep, would not get them out of Egypt. You know, God's people, it's time to understand that there is really, and I mean this with all due respect, there is nothing that you and I bring to the table. We are unable. Our goodness is as filthy rags. Our power, any power that we have in breath or in life, any power is on loan from God. Joshua understood it was God's power that would provide, that would protect and take care of his people. He knew he would never forgot the sound of the walls of Jericho falling down. He tells the elders of Israel as he's preparing to die, it never was me. Remember this. Don't make a statue for me. It wasn't me. Look. The Lord has done it all along. In verse 5 of chapter 23, he does it again. Except for this time, he looks to the future. He says, the Lord your God will push them back from before you and drive them out of your sight. It wasn't me. It won't be me. In the future, it has to be the Lord. He continues in verses 9 through 11. For the Lord has driven out before you great and strong nations. And as for you, no man has been able to stand before you to this day. One man of you puts to flight a thousand since the Lord your God who fights for you, uh, fights for you just as he promised. What is he saying? It's God. It's God. It's his work. Verse 14 again. And now I'm about to go the way of all the earth and you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God has promised concerning you. Joshua knew how to bend low. He did not want to take credit. He did not want the spotlight to be on him. He understood true biblical humility. Humility is not degrading yourself. It's acknowledging who you are. It's seeing yourself properly. Joshua never forgot the feel of the cool breeze in between the Red Sea. He never forgot the, the feel of the heat on his back on the top of Mount Sinai. He never forgot the greatness of God, and it always kept him in check. Men, if you want to be men of God, it does not come with pride or with arrogance. Pride is an abomination to God. Pride should not belong in our hearts. It shouldn't be there at all. Pride, the Bible says, comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Jesus' own words in Mark chapter 10 in verses 42 through 45 says that if any of us wants to be great, we must become small. We must become the servant of them all. If you want to stand out, you have to bend low. My dear brothers, as we look to Jesus right now in the dark times that we are in, as we look at the city of West Memphis and of Marion, and as we look at Crittenden County, our state, our nation, and our world, the world desperately needs the men of the church to do their job, get rid of their pride, and bend low. Let me tell you something else, men. Your family needs you to bend low. You need to be the first person to apologize in your household when you are in the wrong. 
You ought to be the first person to beg for forgiveness, to acknowledge your wrongdoings. Men, we are to bend low. Forget what the world says about manliness. Forget what the world says about, about uh, having to stand tall and not wearing those things on your shoulders. We are to be those people who bend low. Joshua understood that. If you want to stand out, you've got to bend low. But secondly, we see from Joshua's life, not only do you have to bend low, but you have to stand tall. Look at me in verse 15. He says, and if it is evil in your eyes, he tells all of the nation of Israel, all of the elders, all of those in power in Israel, he says, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers that your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua was a courageous man. He knew not only how to bend low, but how to stand tall. He says, you all choose which direction you are going to go. But as for me, I've made up my mind. I've made my decision. Nothing can sway me. Nothing can change me. Joshua wasn't afraid to swim against the current. He wasn't afraid to go against the grain. I can't believe we live in a world of so many boys acting like men. So many boys pretending to be men who just go with everything. Every current that society sends our way. Every fad that society sends our way. When I was younger, I remember remembering, I remember learning in school that we're to get rid of peer pressure. We're to, we're to reject peer pressure. But in today's society, we're taught to embrace it. Do whatever comes naturally. Flow with whatever. It just ought to be however you want life to be. But the scripture commands men specifically to have courage and to stand tall. Unfortunately, the men of the church are more like the cowardly lion from the Wizard of Oz than they are, than they are like the lion uh, from uh, the, uh, the Narnia series, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. We don't have courage. We have pretend courage. And we're all about proclaiming our courage until the moment comes up where we have to display it. And then it's like, well, that's just how you believe. That's just how you feel. Maybe that's right. Maybe I'm wrong. Men, we are to be men of biblical courage. Men who stand tall. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not telling you just tell everybody how you feel. Okay? That's not what, that doesn't take courage. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, that doesn't even take brains, okay? If you just say what you think all the time, <clears throat> if you say those things without regard for other people around you, that doesn't take courage. And you may say, well, uh, that's just how I feel. Well, you know, it, yeah, that's right. But no one else really cares how you feel, especially if you voice how you feel, uh, how you feel all the time. No one will care about what you have to say. I'm not telling you just to spout out from the mouth. I'm not telling you to be hateful. A lot of, I learned from this week, I went to the Southern Baptist Convention, uh, and I learned this week what I've been, God's been teaching me for a long time. People who proclaim truth without grace don't know anything about either one of those two. You hear me? People who proclaim truth without grace don't know anything about either one of those aspects. 
I, I've seen uh, over the last weeks and months men who have uh, taken a bold uh, stand on uh, the word, but their words have been so hateful and mean, and I thought, I don't want to be associated with that at all. Because that that's, doesn't take courage. That's not courage. Courage is the ability to see the situation, the, the fearful situation in front of you. It's, it's looking and seeing everyone else going this way and you deciding to go that way. You know, when truth is this way, this is the way that I'm going. Joshua knew what it meant to stand tall. As he was preparing to take Moses' uh, place as leader, God came to him in Joshua chapter 1 and verse 9 and reminded him, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now listen, this applies to everyone here today. God has designed you, believer, to be courageous. Not to run from fear, but to face it. But men specifically, I'm telling you here today, the church, this world, your family, functions more properly when you are courageous, when you stand tall. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, Paul tells the Corinthians, therefore my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Listen, church, men, there are doctrines, there is scripture that we must stand on and stand firm on, even though it means the whole world hates us. Spoiler alert, they hate you anyway. They do not, the darkness cannot love the light. The darkness needs the light to shine upon them and shine into their hearts and transform them into light. The world will never love you. You cannot curry favor with the world. They'll just use you. It makes no sense to continually give in to their ideologies and to their fads, which are constantly broadening the path to hell. We are to stand firm on the gospel. We're to stand firm on the word. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Joshua knew what it meant to bend low and to stand tall. Ultimately, Jesus, by the way, would fulfill those. Jesus had humility unlike anyone could possibly dream of. He was equal with God, although he did not think that equality a thing to be grasped. But he lowered himself and took on the form of a servant and died for us, even death on the cross. Jesus portrayed, exuded courage as he went to the cross to take our pain and our shame without saying a word taking on our sin on himself. Men, you are to bend low. You are to stand tall. Thirdly, I want you to see with me in verse 15, you're to bow down. If you want to be a man of God, you need to bow down. Look at what he says in verse 15, that famous section toward the end of this verse when he says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua's faith was personal. His walk with the Lord was personal. 
It was a decision that he had made. He could not rely on Moses' relationship with the Lord to get him through. Neither can you. There are no stepchildren or cousins in heaven. You don't get into heaven because you have a relative or a friend that knew him really well. Your entrance into heaven is based solely upon what you do with Jesus right now. Has he saved you? And Joshua says, I bow down in one direction. Though everyone else bows in a different direction, I'm not relying on Moses. I'm not relying on anyone else. I bow down to God. Before I can speak for my family, before I can speak for this nation, before I can speak for anybody else, I'm just letting you know where I stand. As for me, I'm going to serve him. He has my allegiance he has my life, and he has good grounds to do so because he can look back on his life and see all that God had done. As for me, I'm going to serve the Lord regardless of what anyone else does. As for me, my worship has one direction. I bow down in one direction. By the way, everyone in the world worships. Everyone. Uh, whether they're in a pew or uh, whether it's in, a, in a, a, another religion or whether they hold no religion at all, everyone worships something. Everyone bows down to something. Maybe it's entertainment. Entertainment has really grasped the hearts of American Christians. We would rather spend an hour of uh, being entertained on the TV or on the phone or on the internet than five minutes alone with God. One hour of just zoning out like how many episodes have I watched on Netflix and I'm as guilty as anybody else. How many, how many hours have I zoned out on my phone or here? We would rather spend hours of, in entertainment satisfying ourselves than spending five minutes alone with God. Everyone bows down to something. So really my question to you men is, and women, what are you bowing down to? Is it your job? Some of you, it's even your family. Your family has taken precedence over your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's friendships. Maybe it's entertainment. Any of these things. Joshua says, there's one area that I bow down to. There's one throne that I bow down to. It's the Lord's. As for me, I bow down toward him. Finally, not only are we to bend low and to stand tall and to bow down, but finally, I want you to see with me, we're to man up. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua spoke for his house. <gasps> Today's society is kind of backwards and opposite of what our society teaches today but men your family needs you to lead them your church needs your leadership god designed it that way now when i say needs i mean god can perform anything without your help god is god he is really not in need of anything but he's designed the church to work in a certain way he's designed the family to work in a certain way and you are a very important piece in that men you are to lead your family 
Your family depends upon you. You are the head of the house. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, the scripture says, For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. Joshua says, I can speak for me and I can speak for my house. I'm going to lead them to worship and serve the Lord. When it comes to my leadership in my house, Joshua says, I have one direction. With my humility, with my courage, with my worship, I'm going to guide my family to serve the Lord. So here's three ways to set the example and to serve your family. I think Joshua probably did this, but I think it's even more important in this day and age, men, to see how you should man up. Number one, set the example in your home. Set the example in your home. I did a funeral two years ago for a church member here, Mr. C.L. Griffin. Y'all remember Mr. C.L.? And one of his sons got up and was speaking about Mr. C.L. And he said, you know, one thing I always remember about daddy is in the mornings when I would wake up, I would go into the kitchen and there would be daddy drinking his coffee at the, at the table and have his Bible out, reading his Bible with his pencil or pen, taking notes. You see, the Griffins did not have to learn how to study the Bible outside of their father. Their father taught them in the house. Men, your family needs to see your worship of God and see that it's not, that, 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 and to see that it's genuine, that it's sincere. Lead them in worship at home. Yes, have a personal walk with the Lord. Let them see that, but lead them in worship at home. Fathers, take time during the day to read the Bible out loud with your children, to sing songs of worship. We did this every day when I was a kid, and my dad used to say that it was, more, it was less of family worship time and more a family spanking time, okay? And that's typically what it was. We would be in fights, but my dad would just continually read. And dads, I know that it can be difficult but men, lead your families. I fell at this more than anybody. But I'm telling you, if you want to be the godly man that God has called you to be, you have to lead your family to serve the Lord. And you can lead them by setting the example at home, your personal walk, leading them in worship at home. You don't have to wait till Sundays to sing songs of worship. You don't have to wait till Sunday to pray together. You don't have to wait till Sunday. What kind of weak God that we serve that requires us to wait to one hour a week when we gather together to worship him. What kind of weak God is worthy of such nonsense? As a matter of fact, if you're coming here just on Sundays because you're not worshiping another, any other time and this is the one Sunday, maybe you should consider not coming because a God that's only worthy of that one hour is not worthy for you to serve the rest of your life. So why waste this one hour? Why waste your time? You ought to be worshiping him throughout the week, and that ought to propel you and drive you to want to come to God's house and worship together. Set the example in the home. Number two, set the example in church. Be faithful in attending. <clears throat> Mother's Day is one of, especially in Southern Baptist world, Mother's Day is one of the highest attendance Sundays throughout the year. Easter, Mother's Day, that's, those are two, the biggest, okay? You know what one of the lowest is? Father's Day. 
It's not that way here. We've got a good crowd here today. Father's Day is often one of the lowest attended Sundays. You know why? Because it's just not a priority to many men. Church is seen as effeminate. But that's the worldly standards. Men, bring your children to church. And I hope that there's a lot of pro-athletes coming out of this sanctuary. I hope there's a lot of future pro-athletes. But family, can I tell you something? You know what's more important than your child being a pro-athlete and making a lot of money? You know what's more important? You, uh, teaching them not to compromise gathering together as a church. You know what's more important than that? Teaching them uh, that God's word is more important than worldly success. Guide them to church. Men, be faithful to attend and be excited about it. Don't be, don't be discouraging your family as you're walking out the door. Don't you view this as another chore. If it's another chore, stop it. Don't, you're going to bring down everyone else. Don't do that. Come here excited because this is, this is the place where God's people gather together. God's commanded us to do so. We ought to do so joyfully. Has he not saved you? What else do you want him to do? Do you want us to put on a show up here? What am I going to have to, am I have to get buff and break a bunch of bricks to get you to want to be here? I mean, what in the world? Men, we ought to want to be here. Be faithful to attend. Be faithful to serve. Get plugged into the church. Find avenues of service. Let your family see you serving. They, when they see you serve, they will want to serve as well. Be faithful to give. Show them that your love for Christ and his church affects every area of your life. I'll never forget when I was younger, my dad uh, would give us our allowance and he would say, all right, here is your $10 bill for however, however long. And we'd say, yes, we can go do this. He said, wait, we need to make change for that because the first thing that you need to do is you need to tithe. And a tithe off that $10 is $1. And we'd say, ah, thought I finally had that $10 bill. And everyone knows once a ten, every kid knows once a $10 bill is broken, it ain't much longer for the rest of it's gone. And so that $10 bill went down to $9, and then my dad said, oh, and then you owe taxes, and here's another dollar for taxes. He didn't use that money for taxes. I know what he used that money for. It wasn't for taxes, but happy Father's Day, Dad, if you're watching, okay? <laughs> but he taught us to tithe. Why? He said that God is so important. His commands are so important that it's a joy to do these things. He set the example in church, not only in the home, but in church. But then finally, he sits. If you want to be a man of God, if you want to man up, you need to set the example in the community. Your faith cannot be real here and just when your kids' ears are listening and not out in the community and everywhere else. Perfect example. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was getting ready to uh, go across the bridge for some work in Memphis. Bo was with me, and someone cut me off. And I said, I can't believe that dummy cut me off. Not exactly in that tone, and maybe not all of those words together like that, but that was the gist. And then Bo said, I know. I can't believe that dummy cut in front of you. I said the exact same thing. And I went, <sighs> he repeats everything that I say. And you know what? My faith 
The salvation that Jesus gave me applies here, it applies at home when he's listening, it applies home when he's not listening, and it most certainly applies on the road, especially when a bridge is broken and traffic is crazy. And all of that may be true, but it doesn't excuse us not being kind and gentle. Let them see you acting like Christ in the community. Let them see that your faith is not just, doesn't just depend upon the physical audience that is around you, but by an audience of one in the throne room in heaven. Joshua teaches us by his life what Jesus fulfills. That if you want to be a man of God, you have to be someone who bends low, who has humility. You have to be someone who stands tall, who has courage. You have to be someone who bows down. You have personal worship, a personal walk with Jesus. And then you have to be someone who mans up and leads the family. Men, we need you. And my prayer is this week, if pride has you gripped, if you're not walking with him, my prayer is that God would do everything that he can do this week to rid you of that pride. Because this church, we don't need it. A little bit of sin leavens the whole lump and we want to be set apart. We want West Memphis to see the gospel of Jesus. Men, you have to do your part. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.